Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to the Irish Examiner's special Budget 2023 podcast with me, Daniel McConnell. After all the leaks and the kite flying, the government has finally unleashed its 11 billion euro package to help families and businesses cope with the worst of the cost of living crisis in 50 years. But will it be enough? With me to discuss the ins and outs of the budget, I'm delighted to be joined by Holly Kern, Social Democrats TD for Cork South West, Neil Richmond, Fine Gael TD for Dublin Rathdown, and Katrina Redmond, cost of living expert and food columnist with the Irish Examiner. You're all very welcome. Reduced childcare, college fees, free school books at primary level, big increases in welfare, double child benefit payments, tax cuts and support for businesses. There is an awful lot to digest here. Katrina, if I might begin with you, from a family perspective, what are the big things to look out for in this budget? So the big things to look out for really are the likes of the double child benefit payment, which should be arriving on the 1st of November. Um, the abolishing of uh, school books for primary school children, although the kinks need to be ironed out on that yet, so it'll be interesting to see how that works out. Um, and then obviously the increase in the tax limit will help working families, working family payment, there's also some kinks to be ironed out there. Possibly it is the most family friendly budget we've seen in a long time, but that remains to be seen by the time we get to January. Holly, a lot of the uh, government backbenchers, you know, leaving the doll chamber yesterday were almost giddy, like grinning like Cheshire cats because there was kind of something for everybody in the audience. From an opposition perspective, like, is it a difficult budget to oppose or, you know, do you think it's it's kind of hit the mark where, where it needed to hit? I know what you mean, Danny, because it was very much like a giveaway budget and almost felt like maybe is there an election coming up, a bit of an election budget, but ultimately... I think, you know, we look at it, 11 billion. It's the largest one for years. But the question is, who does it benefit the most? And I think if you look behind the 4.1 billion of one-off measures, it becomes really clear who it actually benefits. And it's those on higher incomes who will be most rewarded uh, by the government with tax cuts and an array of universal lump sum payments that disproportionately benefit the better off and kind of fail to really increase, like, core payments and supports for people who need it the most. And the way the government has kind of used this as a tactic is they just keep pointing to the one-off measures that benefit those people who are worse off. And I don't think anybody should be fooled by that approach. And um, those temporary supports don't help people in the medium or long term. They're very much a one-off support. And just to take one group of people in society as an example, and I don't think I can think of a group who are more profoundly affected by the decisions that were made in that chamber yesterday as people with disabilities. Before we had the cost of living crisis, before we had the energy crisis, people with disabilities were um, 
you know, more than a third more likely to end up living in poverty, um, as well as experiencing things like social inclusion. The, there was the, the cost of disability report that estimated there was a cost of between 10 and 12,000 before all of these, um, you know, the, the rise in inflation. And there's a 500 euro one-off payment. Like it costs extra to have a disability every day. Mm. And instead we see, um, you know, kind of the, the kind of tax cuts really benefiting the likes of TDs and ministers. Okay. Let me put that to Neil Richmond. Neil, you heard Holly's criticisms there. Are, are they fair? Has government, you know, is it a missed opportunity as, you know, many of the opposition uh, decried in the Dáil Chamber last night? No, and I don't think the criticism stands up to scrutiny and, and not my scrutiny. Only this morning we hear the the fact the Fiscal Advisory Council is saying this is a balanced budget, it's a sensible budget, and the people who will benefit from the most are the 30% uh, at the lowest and um, spectrum in terms of income in society. You have a series of one-off measures uh, that are there to deal with the cost of leaving crisis in the immediate. You have the decision to put money into the rainy day fund should we need it going forward. And you have the largest budget in history, 11 billion euro. It is a massive budget that combines substantive increases across the board. But the people who will benefit the most are everyone in society who's struggling with this. And I think um, if we look past some of the sound bites, they're well prepared, like even the budget piece hadn't even been made. And I heard some party, parties already rolling out this uh, sticking plaster line. But if you actually go into it, if you look at the substantive detail, there is an awful lot. I think there is a really powerful um, decision taken by the government to genuinely make an effort to address the cost of living crisis with real tangible supports that aren't just going to, we don't need to wait till January or March for them to kick in. People are going to see these in the coming weeks. Mm. Katrina, one of the standout um, measures in the budget is the increase to the entry point of the higher rate of tax from 36,800 to 40,000. From your perspective, how significant is that? It is significant and for some families it can mean as much as 850 euro extra per year. However, for families who, who consistently sit below that, you know, stay within the lower income range, that's not going to be any help for them whatsoever because they're not going to come up as far as that 40,000 um, figure. So they're not going to benefit for, from it at all. So that then becomes a problem. And then the other issue is the likes of the one-off exceptional payments. They, they kind of feel like a temporary fix. And the concern is that the price of energy is clearly going to continue rising. And we do have some quite significant ECB rate rises on the way, which haven't been accounted for. So the fear that I would have and that most of the people I would speak to would have would be that these temporary payments will be swallowed up. And by the time we get to the new year, that families will be once again in difficulty and that the budget won't have fixed it. Mm. Holly, Holly, one of the, again, one of the big debates running into the budget was the increases in welfare. Obviously, we had groups calling for increases of up to €23 Euro per week merely to stand still. The government brought forward a €12 Euro increase. Is it enough from your perspective? No, it's not. And, you know, in addition to that, I think there should have been a cost of disability payment. I don't keep meaning to go back to the same point, but separately. Um, as well as a higher core increase. But I think, like Neil keeps referring to the big budget and the 11 million and 100%, and I think that it is a really big budget, and that's the tragedy. There was an opportunity there to invest more in our public services instead of kind of erode the tax base and kind of payouts. And I think what, like, people then, when they hear the, the sound bites and stuff in the news in the newspaper, they go, oh, that's okay, you know, there's this one-off payment coming to me. But, like, what we need is... I think what people would love is a government that had a bit more ambition and instead of everything being seen as like expenditure, payouts, handouts, 
that there's investment. That's something that we never seem to hear about in our budgets. And just consistently, we see more of an erosion than in our very threadbare public services as a result. And mm. that's regrettable. It's been going on for decades now of being a fallen Fine Gael governments. And we always look back and regret that. So I don't understand why we continue in that same vein all the time. And ultimately, I think you can ca characterise this budget as short-term thinking, not long-term reform, uh, eroding the, the tax base and public services. Um, and then that failure, I think, to target can be seen most accurately in those tax cuts. Um, so the increase in the standard rate cut-off point will benefit high-income earners by €640, Euro, but is of no benefit to anybody earning less than €37,000. Mm. Um, so I just wonder, does the, does the government know that that will only benefit approximately 20% of workers and 80% of people receive absolutely nothing based on Neil, that. I'm... Sorry, let me just bring Neil Richmond in, in, in relation to that. Neil, there's two points I want to ask you. One, we obviously know from my own reporting over the weekend that Fine Gael were pushing for a greater increase to the welfare beyond the €12. Euro. Can you explain as to why why that didn't happen? And, and if you could take a Polly's point there about those beneath the threshold, those who will benefit you know, not, not at all or very little from, from that increase to the tax threshold. Yeah, but before I do that, it's important to come back because, again, we've heard a lot of sound bites there. And Holly's saying there's no long-term thinking, but we're seeing massive investment, capital investment in our education system, in our healthcare. We're seeing a huge change to the cost of childcare provision. So to simply say there's no long-term thinking is false. And then when you go on about... Um, where we look at the 6 billion euro windfall, 4 billion euro of that has been put into immediate cost of living exercises and 2 billion into a rainy day fund. This is a sensible, prudent way to do it. Now, in terms of both the welfare changes and the tax changes, I think the 12 euro increase has been welcome. It'll be welcomed by everyone. It's for pensioners, it's for carers, it's for people on job seekers. Uh, I think it's a good move. There's certainly some people, I heard people advocating for a 50 euro welfare increase, which I think would have been grossly unsustainable and it would have been a false dawn to say that we can somehow run this uh, forever more. Um, but, Heather Humphreys, but it is clear, Neil, that Heather Humphreys and Neil Veracker were pushing for €15 Euro plus, not the €12 Euro that, that they got. Well, I, I'm not too sure if that was the exact case. I saw various reports on that, but when I spoke to, spoke to both of them, they both said they wanted to see a specific increase because it isn't for those those uh, people affected. It's not just the 12 euro increase. It's the extension of the fuel allowance, the increase of the fuel allowance, the extension of other payments, more people being able to qualify for the GP visa card, more people being able to qualify for the medical card. And then on the tax bans, of course, we can look at the income tax rate. That's something we in Finnegan have been pushing for a long time. We'd actually like to see that threshold up to 50,000 euro and I'm extremely uh, pleased to see that genuine consideration has been given to this uh, third rate of income tax ban that had been bandied about over the summer. Uh, that's something that the department has said let's see if we can do it. The decision has to be made whether or not it will be done it but revenue are now going to go away and look into it. But we also see changes to USC which proportionately benefit those on the lowest of incomes most importantly to ensure that those who are getting say the minimum wage increase of 80 cent that was announced earlier in the year actually are able to take that. So to say that it only benefits the upper thing, again that doesn't stand up to the analysis by independent people such as the Fiscal Advisory Council. A cynic may remind you, Neil, that there was a Fine Gael promise to abolish the USC at a previous general election, but we can move yeah, on. Yeah, and, and if we got an overall um, majority, I'd be happy okay. to. I, I want to Katrina, um, it, from your sort of contacts in, you know, kind of the family sector and all the rest of it, I mean, how has this budget gone down? I mean, are there people saying that this is welcome? Have, has it been 
criticised? Or what, what's the sense of your, kind of, I suppose, world? What, what are people saying in relation to the budget? So there's a huge sense of resignation around around the budget because for people who depend on social welfare and who depend on benefits, they really feel like they've got to accept it. There's very little that they can do with it, and yet their costs are really rising. So, so the feedback I've received, and like I'm 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 a family carer myself. I a, a family member of mine has a disability. So so we have that within the household. So so these are considerations for me. I'm in a family carers group, and the first kind of series of messages I got was just like, it'll help a bit. But what do you do for the rest? I mean, um, if I was applied to my own family situation, as I mentioned in my article today, our cost of living increases in this household alone, and we don't just depend on social welfare, is 118 euro a week. So it, when you take into account the um, allowances and the exceptional payments that the government has made um, or intends to make over the next couple of months, it's not going to make very much of a dent in that. In fact, and, and the knowledge that it's going to continue rising is giving us, giving me and my family a huge amount of concern. If you take that and you multiply it over 52 weeks of the year, it's it's over six thousand euro, and where has that got to come from? It's got to come from our income, and for families on social welfare, when they receive an increase, where have those cost of living increases and that increased cost of living got to come from? It's got to come from the income. So there's going to be a shortfall, and people are going to go without. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row, dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Mm. And Holly, I suppose picking up Katrina's point there is like one of the big I suppose selling points from the government's perspective is the reduction in childcare costs, the free school books, the reduction in, in third level fees. I suppose these are measures that are kind of hard to oppose. These, I'm sure you would welcome that there is a reduction for families on those very critical costs that, that have to be paid every year. 100% any investment like that is so welcome and I, I'm not just going to, I'm not here to just criticise every single thing <laughs> that the government does but it's to Katrina's point there was 11 million on this budget it's huge. And that was a huge opportunity to really and truly try and lift people out of poverty. But mm. all of those measures are one off and they're not targeted. Like the not targeting is a recurring theme. We see that in the energy supports as well. So regardless of whether you're on a wage like me and Neil, like TDs are on, or whether you're on the minimum wage or in social welfare, you get the same amount of money to help with your energy bills. Mm. That doesn't make any actual sense when we look at the reality the different experiences that people are having. Some people can absorb the cost. The key recommendations coming from the independent experts that Neil keeps referencing was that this, was that this budget needed to be targeted. And it is not. One-off measures don't help people in the medium to long term that really need that help. 
That is the biggest issue with this budget. I'm not criticising anywhere that the money has gone. I'm saying that is not how we would have done it. But of course we wouldn't because we would have taken a social democratic approach. And that is the fundamental difference between mine and Neil's parties, you know. Neil, as long as I'm reporting on politics, and that's a pretty, it's, sadly to say it's a long time now at this stage, but like we've heard about not being able to target measures. We we have to do it on a universal basis, be child benefit, and we've seen it with the you know, with the energy credit. How is the system not able to target the measures as Holly is describing? How can we not finesse the system to a point where we can actually get the money where it needs to go? Well, there's two points, because this budget is targeted. It's 50% targeted, uh, 50% universal, and that's right. And There's a couple of things there. It is important that some measures should be universal because while someone may have an income on a piece of paper, it doesn't take into account necessarily accounting. Do we have to means test every single payment, payment that the state does? You know, where's the fairness, particularly when those people are perhaps, um, you know, have greater expenses and are contributing quite a bit? And then also, where's the effectiveness, particularly when we're talking about one-off cost of living measures that are in times that we're told, told of a cost of living crisis, you're actually able to do them quicker and more efficiently by doing them on a universal basis, like the energy payments. If we were going down to the line that everything had to be means tested and revenue had to set up a new system, it would take away from the efficiency. And then this notion that we'd introduce an energy cap, sure, that's a universal thing. And in order to achieve that, we'd have to write a blank check. And Katrina, just very briefly, I didn't suggest an energy cap, but you could have targeted it. I wasn't talking about what you're suggesting, Holly. I'm I'm, I'm talking about general contributions to the budget from other people as well. And just one more point, Daniel, on just what Neil said there, like the the excuse for not targeting the energy supports has been, oh, be too difficult to to figure out a way of doing that. The government has managed to find out a way of targeting at the SMEs. So I don't know. Of course, we could have figured out a way of targeting this based on income, household income. Katrina, again, one of the other um, issues that people have been talking about are these supports for businesses. And obviously, there are an awful lot of businesses who have either flirted with going under over the last two years with COVID-19. And there's an element of that they're going to get further kind of supports, which clearly are welcome. But do you get a sense that, you know, the government is sustaining unviable businesses? Because that's, again, you know, from the economist's perspective, is something we should never do. And and from your perspective, are the supports that are announced for businesses, are they targeted in the right in, in the right area? So it's interesting because the supports which have been announced for businesses mean that once a business can um, provide proof that their energy costs have gone up, regardless of the profitability level of the go- of of the business, they are then going to be able to claim this 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 benefit or this support for energy costs, and that then raises the raises the question, you know, that highly profitable businesses are going to receive subvention towards their energy costs, and and yet. Uh, and yet it could be more targeted. I mean, it, it, regardless of the discussion around whether or not um, subventions and exceptional needs payments and, and supports could be offered to individuals, which falls under the whole PAYE, PRSI tax system, the SME and the business system on, on revenue online and on ROS is very, very clear. And it's much more targeted towards, you know, businesses and their profitability level. They, there's real-time reporting with regards to staff members, VAT, tax. So it would be much easier to target those um, subventions and contributions towards energy for businesses than 
it seems to be a more global approach. I do understand the global approach because it's quicker and simpler to implement. But we are going to end up with a situation similar to the one that we have with energy companies, where people are going to raise questions about the profitability level of energy companies, you know, when, you know, when energy prices are so high and questions again are going to be raised similar to COVID-19 situation where companies are, are turning large profit levels when they are benefiting from support from the state. Mm. And Holly, given your own interest in, you know, experience in the agricultural sector, I mean, the, the, you know, talking to Charlie McConnell last night, he admitted this is a solid, if unspectacular budget from a, uh, an agriculture perspective. Was there a missed opportunity here to do more for agriculture in this budget, given the amount of money that was spent? It's interesting in the in the actual budget that we're given out in the doll yesterday, there are no figures for where exactly the money's going in agriculture. Um, so none of us are any the wiser as to how that money exactly is going to be spent. Um, but there's a huge missed opportunity when there's so much money going in. We haven't seen any of like new schemes, for example, like a nutrient management scheme that would really and truly start to make the changes in agriculture that we will inevitably have to make. And at a time when there is so much money to be spent, this is the time when we should be making the transition and ensuring that farmers' incomes aren't compromised as a result. Um, and you can see that that opportunity is being missed. But um, I'm presuming that today when uh, McConnell takes the floor, we'll know the exact numbers and where they're going. And Neil, one of the more controversial aspects of the budget is the decision to end the lower VAT rate for the hospitality sector. They made kind of accusations that there was price gouging on, particularly in the Dublin area. Is that one that was difficult to, to stomach or do you think Pascal Dunne, who was right to, to kind of essentially clamp down on, on what he saw was exploitation of customers? Well, I wouldn't necessarily strike such an error of finality. It's due to end in February, but there is an open to be reviewed. You know, if there is a need for it to extend it beyond February, that'll be assessed at the time. Um, reducing the VAT rate for hospitality for 9% is effective. It worked. It worked in times after the financial crisis. It worked coming out of COVID. Um, but not every um, business within the hospitality sector necessarily needs it as much, particularly now. It's something that has to be looked at. Um, then do you say it does only apply to business providing food or only hotels? Then how do you differentiate a hotel in Dublin city centre from a small town in West Cork, for example, Holly, yeah. or something similar to that? I think We'll look at that again in January and February. It has served its purpose. Um, if it needs to be retained, fine. But going back to a, a more normalised VAT uh, for the hospitality sector isn't necessarily something we should fear. Holly, you clearly want to come in there. Yeah, just because I think this is a really important issue and I agree with Neil's point there that it needs to kind of be re-looked at because I think when you look at, say, the 2008 crash, the hospitality sector was so crucial in our kind of recovery from that. And Neil emphasised the difference between kind of urban and rural areas. And I just um, wholeheartedly agree with you because, for example, in somewhere like in my constituency in Cork Southwest, hospitality is the biggest employer. Um, for example, a hotel in a town or a village is potentially the single largest employer in a town. And the way that I think we're all perceiving like hotels at the moment is that they were price gouging, putting mm. up their prices. That was only the case for Dublin hotels and in other kind of major cities. Certainly wasn't happening in rural areas at all. And now the, the VAT rate will be the same for all of them. So I think that it makes sense. It brings us back to what we we're talking about earlier, that the need for targeted approaches here. But I think that I've, I think I'm more worried about the small cafes, the restaurants, in my constituency now than I was post the last crash. I think those energy bills, all of those things, so many businesses are getting in touch with us to say they're on the brink of closing. Hotels saying they're thinking of closing for January and February. 
then you have loads of people unemployed for that time signing on. I think we need a really targeted approach to ensure that there isn't kind of this one-size-fits-all centralised approach that what Dublin is doing, the rest of the country kind of has the, the, the knock-on negative effect of that. Mm. Um, but I understand the need around the, the AT rate. I think we need to look at other targeted supports. Well, listen, it's a discussion I think we could go on for another hour or so, if, but the time and the clock is against us, unfortunately. But I want to thank you all very much for joining us here on the Irish Examiner podcast for the, uh, on the budget. My thanks to my guests, Neil Richmond, Holly Kearns and Katrina Redmond. Thank you very much to you, the listener, for being with us. Stay tuned to irishexaminer.com for the very best coverage and analysis on budget 2023 today and the next couple of days. Thank you very much for listening and bye-bye for now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 